You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another edition, another episode of the Drive Time Show here on The Voice of Islam Radio. Today is Tuesday, the 17th of January, 2023, uh, with myself, Shajil Ahmed, also uh, Saad Ahmed, and also Noshirwan um, Rashid, or Rashid. Rashid, Rashid, Rashid. Uh, pleasure, pleasure to have um, yeah, gentlemen, uh, you gentlemen, on uh, on board this uh, this afternoon for today's show. Um, it's uh, going to be an interesting show uh, with some uh, usual interesting uh, interesting topics. Uh, in the first hour, in the first hour, we will be speaking uh, about uh, hate speech, and uh, in 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 terms of um, in terms of uh, freedom of speech as well. What is freedom of speech? What's the What's the sort of um, uh, sphere of freedom of speech? What can we say? What can't we say? And of course, as I just mentioned, hate speech, and that's something that we're going to be speaking about uh, as well. Um, in the towards the latter part of the show, we're going to be speaking about prayers, and something. Uh, I mean, prayers is a broad, is a very broad topic. Um, patience and perseverance. Um, that's something that we are going to be speaking about towards the. Uh, second part of uh, of the show as well um as you would be aware anyway it's a live show the lines are open at the moment if you want to contribute to the show if you want to um ask us any questions or if you have any um anything that you would like to any, uh, you know anything that we like that you would like to add onto the show the number to call in as always is 0208687 7878 uh you can also tweet us at voice of islam uk and of course um, our Instagram handle is also at Voice of Islam UK as well. So hit, about, hit us up on our socials, uh, socials as well. Um, as you know, it is an interesting topic, isn't it? That Indeed, we, that we're going to be speaking about. Um, it's interesting and uh, controversial at controversial the same time. As well, yeah, controversial as well at the same time. There's a lot of different angles in which people, you know, different people, depending on what you know political agenda that you follow. Or what you know, what what you're sort of keen on, or what you sort of uh, give yourself as, or portray yourself as, what you think this is a right for me to do. I can do this. This is freedom of speech. But then, if you look at it, for, you know, if you ask a, a different person, they might say the complete opposite. So it is quite quite controversial as well. And uh, there's a lot of politics which actually comes into comes into this uh, as well, isn't it? Yes, you know, uh, sometimes what happens is we forget the fine line between freedom of speech mm. and hate speech. So we should always be always be mindful if you're speaking uh, about anything. You sh- there is free uh, free of freedom of speech, but you shouldn't be going into hate hatred of speech, mm. right? Mm. But you know, in the Holy Quran, where Allah the Almighty states in chapter six. Verse 109 hmm. says, And reveal not those whom they call upon beside Allah, lest they out of spite revile Allah in their ignorance. So here Allah is saying that you shouldn't be saying anyone who's, um, uh, the word I, th- I think, so swearing, right? You shouldn't be saying right. bad words yeah. against Allah because um, uh, because He's the one who is um, you call upon. So um, making any jokes about any um, religion or anything, hmm. you should be respectful to every single religion which which is out there. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it, it just goes to show. I mean, of course, the, the the teachings of the Holy Quran are so universal, and it's so complete as well that that it it, it tells us it actually admonishes us to, despite the fact that obviously God Almighty is the one true God, 
Indeed. Right? He is the one true God. Islam is the Islam is the is, is that religion which has been which has been chosen by God Almighty uh, from now until the end of time as well. And he knows that all these other you know if the other religions, other people, other sects, other um whatever dominions they 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 follow their own gods and those gods are of course false right yes, they're, they're fake we, gods but yeah. we shouldn't we shouldn't abuse them we shouldn't use bad names against Indeed. them we shouldn't curse them as well just because if we do that then they will do the same to us as well and that's you know that's something that we cannot tolerate that's yeah, so you know, why do that in the first place? It, it hurts their sentiments religion is uh, very important to each individual whoever they may be, whether they're Muslim, whether they're Christians, whether they're atheists, mm. they all have their own beliefs, they all have their own sentiments regarding religion. And you know, when you uh, provoke or say something against their religion, yeah. that's when it hurts them and they won't appreciate your religion, they won't respect you in the same manner. Yeah. So you got to understand that religion is the fine line where we all discuss and speak mutually with respect. Indeed, you know, that's the thing with freedom of speech and hate speech, right? That's the fine line of religion. If you're um, tipping over towards religion and you're talking bad about anyone or any religion Mm. or any idols, whatever that is, right? So when that happens, you will have some um, Some backlash, backlash, right? So if you're respectful to them, they, they will be respectful to you also. So... That's the difference between freedom of speech and um, hate speech. Mm. Exactly, exactly. I mean, in this, in today's world, <laughs> freedom freedom of sp- of speech is actually celebrated and uh, and encouraged as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we're all told to sort of share the differences in our ideas and be open minded as well. So you know, as as we all living in a in a ver- very diverse, uh, you know, multi diverse community. And we have we're we're exposed to different people, different ideologies, different religions, um, people from different uh, places as well. So we need to be open-minded as well. However, some people seem to be seem to be sort of you know c- confused, and they they confuse freedom of speech with uh, with hate speech as well. And you alluded yes. to this uh, as well. And they seem to think that it's okay to make hateful and racist remarks in the name of freedom of speech. And I think you know if you if you look back. Not too long ago, 60, 70, 80 years ago, um, you know, because there was not that much, uh, you know, because it was not that, you know, that, that diverse. And there weren't that many people who, you know, you weren't exposed to that many people. I mean, whoever was living in a particular country, they, because of the means of transport, because of the, um, you know, there was no social media at that time, there was no internet at that time, um, you would only be familiar with those people who were from the same place as you are. So you wouldn't really know other people from different places. But now because it's, you know, it's so easy um, to, to, to know what's going on around the world, it's so easy to actually know about anyone can just post a picture or post a, post a video or post a message on social media and someone who's living on the other part of the world can actually see that as well. And... Uh, it, it's important for us to actually understand this as well. But also, where this happens, we must also, as I mentioned, be open-minded. We must uh, share the differences in our ideas, but also um, don't think that we're right and they're wrong. Um, that that is that you know that's not that's not a right thing. That's not a right ideology to have uh, to have in mind as well. 
So that's something that we're going to be discussing um, as well. As I mentioned, if you've just joined the show, we are talking about freedom of speech and especially hate speech as well. The difference between hate speech and freedom of speech. Where do we actually draw the line? 0208-687-7878 is the number for you to call if you want to voice your opinion as well. Here at the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, as Ahmadiyya Muslims, we're, we're no strangers to being restricted um, you know, freedom of speech as you know, as you know, in some places we are persecuted, and uh, some Muslim countries for simply calling ourselves um, Muslims. Um, won't go into the politics of this too much, but there's usually a lot of misconception surrounding surrounding Islam, the teachings of Islam, with the popular belief that Islam limits freedom of speech, or perhaps that uh, that it actually tries to force people into accepting Islam, coercion, you know. And uh, forcing people, if you know, if people don't believe in Islam, then you know, God forbid, you know, Muslims are told to, you know, behead them, separate their necks from their from their bodies, and then until they until they believe, until they actually believe in in Islam and become Muslims. However, this couldn't be uh, this couldn't be far from the truth. Islam wholeheartedly supports freedom of speech and strives to actually build bridges of friendship and interface dialogue between different communities and religions as well. And we see that Islam, it's not, it's not because it's, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, Islam is a universal religion. It's not for the Arabs, it's not for the Asians, you know, it's not for the subcontinent. It's not for Pakistanis or Indians or, or you know, or, or anyone else. It's, it's for everyone. Whether you're from the east or from the west, from the north or from the south, until the end of time, Islam is the religion. This is why the teachings which are mentioned in the Holy Quran are for everyone, and they're applicable for everyone. Islam uh, for everyone as well, for actually for, for for everyone to believe in. Now, the Holy Quran um, it, uh, states in chapter chapter eighteen, verse thirty, "Is it the truth from your Lord? Wherever, uh, wherever, let him who will believe, and let him who will disbelieve." And this verse clearly shows that Islam allows freedom of speech, freedom of religious expression, and also freedom of conscience uh, as well, being open-minded, being, you know, accepting other people uh, as well. So all of these mm-hmm. things are very, very much important. Yes, um, you know, um, Nosh, if, uh, Nashwan, sorry, if, if I can ask you this question, what is freedom of speech and why is it even important? Yeah, so, you know, first of all, we need to step back a little bit and understand some of our viewers or some uh, may not know what exactly is freedom of speech. Mm. So I think first addressing that mm-hmm. is important. So freedom of speech, some people might concise it into a very uh, uh, tight, narrow area, okay. whereas other can make it, expand it and see what it means. Mm. So, you know, Amnesty UK defines it, um, freedom of speech as the right to seek, receive and impart information and ideas of all kind by any means. Mm-hmm. So it's more, uh, Shajil mentioned earlier, that it's, uh, you know, in our society currently, we have become a glo- global village. And yes. that is, the reason for that is because we all share our ideas mm. and we share our thoughts and open-mindedness. That's why we've developed into such a global village because of all the ideas coming together as part of freedom of speech. We have developed into into a village which we can all communicate we can all share our thoughts we can all uh, uh, share our ideas mm-hmm. and we've become into this so 
freedom of speech allows us to share ideas and be critical even if someone else might not agree with our ideas so they could be your own ideas but others may not agree with it mm-hmm. because they just um they might be limited to you they might be limited to your surroundings so we can have a shared dialogue and engage with different ideologies so we got to be accepting towards other people's thoughts ideas and ideologies whether they're different whether they're same mm-hmm. and you know the article 10 10 gives yes. people the right to hold their own opinion so people have the right to their own opinion and to express themselves freely without government interference so for example this gives the public um they ex- they can express their views loudly for instance through public protest and demonstrations okay so you know sometimes um different laws are set in place um governments um maybe they do they set out laws uh, which people out they might maybe out of people's interests mm-hmm. um this is where freedom of speech line where you st- freedom of speech steps in people can go out and engage in peaceful protests and you know once they do that that governments pay heed to it and they can also act on what the public is saying that is completely fine and part of freedom of speech public have the the right mm-hmm. to go out and seek their rights rights which are lawful and which the government uh, agree to perfect so we have our first caller um professor eric heinz who is a professor of law and humanities at queen mary university and author of many books on free speech with this short introduction i would like to welcome him on the show assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh how are you professor hi how how are you today not bad thank you for asking you know professor um we our topic today is regarding um freedom of speech and what what is hate speech so i wanted to ask you how have freedom of speech laws developed in this country throughout the history <laughs> well if you're asking about yes. the whole history <laughs> that that's a very long time indeed i mean generally speaking i mean in in most places not just in britain you know traditionally uh speaking uh there's never been an assumption of a general right of free speech that's a very modern and a very recent thing mm-hmm. um e- you know even in very strong western democracies for the most part the idea of a kind of presumed right of free speech uh act- you know it really only be- begins to take place in law in the 20th century many people think it's much older but uh, that's very doubtful mm-hmm. uh the the idea, the general idea comes about you could say in the 18th century but you know by the 19th century it was still not the case that there was a presumption of a general individual right of free speech that's a very recent thing both in wow. Britain and elsewhere thank you you know um I've, i actually never knew about this you know it was from the 20th century but you know how are these laws being enforced and are they even effective any laws which are uh, regarding freedom of speech Sure. Well, I guess the question about whether enforcement is effective depends on which kind of goals you have in mind because mm-hmm. they're very conflicting goals. I mean, for the most part, I, I think we all know in Britain and in most uh, western democracies, 
individual freedom of speech is generally secure. Um, you know, even if we run into problems such as street protests, that sort of thing, you know, for the most part in Western democracies today, you don't get thrown in prison uh, simply because, you know, you have a wrong philosophy, mm -hmm. right? Uh, 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 so that kind of background uh, individual right is for the most part secure, uh, you know, in Western democracies. Uh, on the other hand, you know, when it comes to questions about limits, things like slander, defamation, uh, and all sorts of other limits, those are actually very hard to enforce. Mm -hmm. um, you know, particularly if you want to have a society where people do have the general background freedom. Thank you. And absolutely, absolutely. Now, Professor, no, no society has ever, you know, permitted absolute freedom of speech. There's always been some, some you know, limitations um, in laws as well, which are in place. Now, to what degree can we actually regulate the freedom of speech without infringing uh, or any you know, infringement on, uh, on human rights? Well, um, I'm going to give you my view on this because this is a very disputed point. Mm. Everyone you, every expert you ask will have a different opinion. My view is this. Uh, what's crucial in a reasonably healthy participatory democracy, as I said before, is that people are not punished solely for having the wrong philosophy of the world, right? Mm. Uh, 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 that's, for me, a, a kind of absolute cutoff point. Um, uh, obviously, that doesn't solve every problem. But throughout, again, throughout much of history, People have been, you know, both in the West and elsewhere, you know, this is just, you know, we find many examples throughout the world that throughout much of history, people have been punished simply for having the wrong philosophy, or at least for getting up and saying it, right? Because obviously this often meant some sort of political dissent, right? And we know that democracy itself is something that, you know, that doesn't really happen very often in history. Most societies throughout history have not been democracies, so there has not been an assumption uh, of, of individual free speech. Uh, and so in my opinion, what a democracy needs at the very least is that no one is punished for having the wrong philosophy of the world. Absolutely. And when I say philosophy, I mean, you know, ethics, morality, religion, you know, the word philosophy can cover many, uh, many inflections. Sure, sure. Now, with freedom of speech, how does this actually, when this is in place, how does this improve society? Well, because all of us are social beings, right? We only, we, we're, we're beings who can only live by cooperating, or most mm. of us. Very few people can live off in the forest by themselves. Mm. Most people live in community, in society. People, we are interdependent. We therefore need communication, right? Uh, in a democracy, again, that becomes vastly amplified because the point of a democracy is that people should be able to participate people should be able to have their say and that's what makes democracies very difficult because of course we don't always ag agree and therefore we need structures and forums in order to come together and to be able to air our disagreements and often that doesn't work hmm. right but the you know to get back to your question again the 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 aim the ideal is that free speech improves society because we're social beings, we need to communicate. Human beings have never operated in any other way except through communication. 
Absolutely. Yeah, Professor, you know, you just mentioned that people do have the right to say and in society. Now, especially if you take social media, for example, social media is very vast. People are expressive. Um, some people, uh, they have been banned for using that speech, that freedom, um, where have the others have unbanned. So, you know, social media companies have the right or responsibility to regulate freedom of speech. Okay, now, that's, again, that, this has been one of the major issues, uh, well, for a long time now. It's very much in flux. Um, and here I can give you a somewhat more technical answer, a less yeah. philosophical and a more pragmatic answer, um, uh, um, although we could also discuss the philosophy of it. But the short and technical answer is that uh, the European Union has uh, has more or less completed what is known as the Digital Services Act, which is also similar to some right. German legislation. Now, as you know, all of these major media platforms, such as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, these are in principle global, which means that if they want to do business in any country, they have to follow the laws of that country. Now, obviously, the European Union is an essential market for any global company. And therefore, it, uh, whatever you and I might sit down and discuss about the best philosophy, the fact of the matter is that the Digital Services Act un, you know, from the European Union is going to require that these uh, companies, Twitter, Facebook, I mean, it's particularly targeting the giants, yeah, right. uh, YouTube and so forth, that they are going to have to comply with some pretty stringent rules. And if they don't, uh, they're going to have to pay hefty fines, some hefty fines, you know, which could even jeopardize their very existence, uh, you know, in those markets, which they don't want to do. I mean, I know that it doesn't sound this way when you listen to Elon Musk, you know, whose brain is all over the place. Um, but the fact is that, you know, uh, the EU, you know, doesn't have to worry about Elon Musk's moods. You know, it, it has the power to enforce some pretty stringent uh, regulation. Uh, we haven't really seen how this is going to play out. This is all very new. But, um, uh, you know, that is a kind of framework, whether companies like it or not. Smaller companies will have much more flexibility and freedom. And so we still might have some fringe, uh, you know, websites uh, where more controversial sorts of speech will just be able to get through, but those will also have much smaller audiences and therefore much less influence. As soon as a company starts becoming big, you know, with millions or tens or hundreds of millions of people online, then that's where the Digital Services Act can really become um, a pretty potent. Thank you, Professor. Professor, I have a another question for you. I wanted to ask, do you know, a a burning took, of, of the Holy Quran took place in Norway a couple of months back. So what kinds of laws will be enforced regarding uh, this and how freedom of speech will come into play? Okay, now that's an interesting one. Now, you see, there, there, you, that would really just be Norwegian law, mm -hmm. um, at least in the first instance. Uh, and to be honest, I have heard about this case, but I haven't had a chance to follow it. Uh, although I would be interested in it. Uh, the only way in which kind of European or international law would kick in would be if the person who burned uh, the book um, were punished, and then if that person wanted to, to, to challenge the punishment, for example, at the European Court of Human Rights, 
mm-hmm. or possibly at the United Nations uh, uh, Human Rights Committee, that sort of thing. But I mean, the European Court of Human Rights would be the most likely venue where they could challenge it. And then you would get a European wide judgment. Although, again, that would be sometime down the road. But um, if uh, Norway does not uh, 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 inflict any penalty for that, then I, chances are it just stops at Norway. Uh, so, in other words, if people, if there, are, if, if there's a Muslim community who feels aggrieved, mm-hmm. um, I don't think that they would. I don't think I can't think of any provision within the European Court of Human Rights that they would be able to avail themselves mm-hmm. of, um, uh, because something like because in other words, uh, the closest that you would get would be something like freedom of religion, but. I, I think that would be a very hard case to bring because their freedom to practice their religion is not necessarily infringed by the fact that somebody is burning the Quran. So I think that would be a very hard kind of case Thank uh, you. To, to bring. So in that respect, then it would pretty much just stay within Norwegian law. Thank you so much. Yeah, Professor, some of our listeners who have just joined them may not know that you're author of many books um, regarding free speech. You know, in those books, um, that it, what what do you outline? What is your main um, purpose of, and what is your outline regarding free speech? Well, I, I guess I hinted it. I, I hinted at it when we first started chatting. Um, so, d- just to get back to that, right? I think I think one of you were the first, uh, you know, to say that you know no society has ever had completely free speech. No society could ever function with completely free speech. Uh, I can explain that later if you want me to, but a society would literally collapse uh, because if you had unlimited speech, it would be impossible to enforce many laws. So you're absolutely right that there's never been unrestricted free speech anywhere in any society that anyone has ever known anything about. And so for me, the approach is a bit different, right? As I was saying, it's not so much about a kind of free speech absolutism, it's what I would call a viewpoint absolutism. Again, that people are not punished simply for having the wrong philosophy, right? So we get back to that point. For me, again, that's kind of the, you know, the, 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 most, the single most fundamental idea, the most important uh, element within a democracy, although I know that it can cause many, many problems because obviously some people have worldviews which uh, are very offensive, which might even be seen as dangerous. Right, but I think that um, the the more secure, the more prosperous uh, the, uh, a, a democracy is, the more it has to be able to allow people to speak their minds on their fundamental beliefs and their fundamental philosophy. So, Professor, where would you draw the line between freedom of speech and hate speech? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, there's no one line. There are a few lines. Okay. Um, for example, let's start with an easy case. Yeah. Yep. If uh, if I just start, you know, shouting hate speech at you on the street, okay. right, uh, or targeting you personally, right, you personally, you individually on the street or even online, right, with your name where you know it's you know it's it's clear clear who you are. You're an identifiable individual. In my view, there's no basis for protecting that, 
right? Because when I do that to you, I'm not participating in democracy. I'm not espousing my philosophy of the world, right? I'm just aggressing you. So, um, uh, uh, so for me, it's not so much about freedom. It's about democracy. It's about how much speech do we need for a democracy to be able to function, right? Um, not, democracy is not harmed if I get punished for insulting you on the street, right? That doesn't hurt democracy at all, yeah. right? So that would be one extreme. Would be you know you and me in direct contact. Right. The opposite extreme would be that, you know, you have a worldview that I don't like or I have a worldview that you don't like. That's different. Right. That is part of you and me participating in a democracy. And so that I would protect. There are other lines, incidentally, but I think that's the most important. Interesting. Interesting. I think our listeners would have, uh, you know, uh, some some interesting uh, comments as well some uh, some questions maybe if they want to ask as well um the number to call in is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. but uh, professor it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you um and uh, your thoughts getting your thoughts on the show this afternoon as well pleasure to have you on peace be upon you thank you so much yes it's been my pleasure thank you very much thank you as I mentioned, zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call if you want to, um, uh, you know, express your your opinions uh, in regards to this as well. What do you think? Where would you draw the line um, in terms of freedom of speech, hate speech, uh, as well? And then where can we actually live together as a society that will actually promote uh, that can actually promote this as well? Even Professor. Professor Eric also said that there's not been a single, you know, place in the world where there hasn't been absolute, you know, freedom of ju- freedom of, uh, you know, freedom of expression. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. This, that society would definitely collapse. That society cannot flourish. Um, obviously, you know, if you're allowed to say whatever you want, whatever or anything that comes into your mind, um, where would you know where, where where would your morals go? Where would your code of conduct go? Where would you know all of these good manners? Uh, go as well. Um, they would just go down the drain, you know. And and also he also mentioned that uh, you know if there is no limit to that, if it you know it's unlimitless, uh, you know you can say whatever you want, then you can't implement uh, you know some laws as well. And that you know ultimately, if you can't implement any laws, then that society would definitely uh, collapse uh, as well. Um, it's important that we that we talk about what Islam actually says in regards to this as well, because in the beginning we we said that you know there's a lot of people that think that Islam is so backwards that it doesn't promote freedom of speech. Yes. People think that Islam actually um, does the opposite; it actually forces you to believe in its ideologies. Well, that's you know as we mentioned before as well. We say again that this is nothing but uh, you know d- nothing but nonsense. Um, Islam actually gives the, you know, teaches the opposite of that as well. Um, there's several sayings, um, traditions of the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where he makes it absolutely clear um, how to exercise freedom of speech as well. There are some examples where, you know, some, uh, some narrations where he said that a believer does not taunt or curse or abuse or talk indecently to his, uh, to his fe- fellow uh, human being as well, to his fellow human being as well. Ruined are those who who exaggerate, and also a good word is also a form of uh, a form of charity. Now, in three simple sentences, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has taught us that 
you know, told us what the core principles of freedom of speech are. You know, don't be indecent, don't embellish stories. You know, don't you know just exaggerate um, and put a lot of um, extra things in that. And saying good things is a virtue, provided that the good thing, uh, good things which are said are actually true. I mean, if you're if you're telling a lie, that's not you know that's not a good thing. If we observe these manners, we can ensure and make sure that freedom of speech is actually preserved. And this, when we do this, justice will actually uh, prevail as well. And this will actually, um, you know, establish and then maintain a you know a harmony in the society as well. Especially given how how global our society has actually become, um, and we need to be extra mindful of how our words can actually. Um, simply, it can affect it can affect others. Now, there's another instance from the from the Holy Prophet's uh, life, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in which we in which we see how excellent his manners were, and how we should also behave in a situation where someone insults us. Now, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was actually you know is a, is a narration where he was sitting uh, with some of his companions, may Allah be pleased with all of them, and a man reviled Abu Bakr, peace be upon him. Oh, may Allah be pleased with him and insulted him. Now he he remained silent, and then he insulted him twice, and then uh, you know Abu Bakr may God be pleased with him. He controlled himself again. He he remained silent, and then he insulted him a third time, and then he actually took revenge on him and he said some some things back to him as well. And upon this, the messenger of God, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he got up, he got up, and then when Abu Bakr took revenge. Uh, you know, when he when he said some things back, he got up and then he left. And then Abu Bakr said uh, upon this that, were you angry with me, O Messenger of God? Now upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, replied that an an angel came down from heaven, and he was rejecting uh, what that other person was saying to you. He was replying upon your behalf when you were staying quiet. And then when you took revenge, a devil came down. And then I was not going to sit where you know where the devil was present. So then that that is why I got up, and then I left. So this shows us that you know if somebody is abusing you, you know the the best thing to actually do in that situation, you know where we get for, uh, what, the lesson that we learn from this narration, is to remain quiet, is to remain silent. And when we remain silent, the angels, you know, they will come down and they will, um, you know, they will. Uh, uh, you know, reject their sayings or whatever the whatever you know abuse that they're doing, they will actually come down pr- to protect to protect us as well. Yeah, Shajil. So you know, this is a really a great narration, and it shows how Hazrat Abu Bakr, peace be upon him, mm. had controlled himself. Yeah. Let's take today's day and age and society into perspective. Mm. If someone comes and insults you, mm. you are not going to control yourselves. Mostly people would not control themselves. Most people are, would not be able to do that. Would would not be able to do that. Yeah. Unless they are, of course, um, they are really religious or they they know um, what they're doing, and uh, that's what has changed now. And why is that? Why are people? They've lost the self control. They've lost that. If someone is, has comes to insult you, hmm. it's so hard to just let go of your ego, your arrogance, and just calm down. And instead of making making matters worse, just Think of the consequences of how you can actually hurt the other person back, hmm. which may cause harm to a society as a whole. If everyone starts doing the same thing, hmm. um, if someone gets insulted, um, them or a group of friends, they do the same back. Yeah. 
But obviously, yeah. in this narration, we see uh, that if if you stay remain quiet, angels and come and defend you. Absolutely. And if you start to insult them back, I'm not saying it happens in every case, but uh, we should in current society, Saad, don't you think mm-hmm. we should actually act in accordance and try to remain um, like controlling and control yourself and your emotions, which could be hard Indeed. at times. You know, uh, controlling emotions, you know, when you just said that, I just remembered a couple of days back when I had a small incident myself where I had an accident, hmm. right? And somebody else was like, what should I do? And one thing I said, okay, I pray, I pray to God, Allah the Almighty, and ask him, help me out. And then when the gentleman came out, and he was really nice, and he's like, okay, we can uh, do a, um, what's it called, um, insurance, whatever insurance has to do, we can go through that. I was like, okay, we'll sort it out got the details all that and there was no swearing there was no oh you did this you broke uh, you you breaked hard this whatever that is everything was done with Everyone's mutual understanding with mutual understanding with respect so you know uh, one thing I always learn is you know if you're respectful to the other person and it automatically the person in front of you will be respectful to you too so yeah, there's these, a saying so it goes like indeed. if you want to receive respect mm. you should show respect show respect so that's the thing which I've learned from my father also, right? He always told me from a young age that if you respect your elders, they will respect you. If you respect your youngest and, and you, um, who are smaller than you, they will respect you too. So it's not if you're elder, okay, the children have to be, uh, the youngest have to be respectful to you, that's which is automatically. But if you don't show respect to them, to the um, younger ones, then how will they be thinking? How will they know that you should be respecting that they should be respecting you also, mm. right? Because you're not showing them the respect they need. Exactly. I mean, I, I mean, it is a you know when we're we, from a very young age, or we're taught these uh, sayings, isn't it? Indeed. Of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings so. of Allah be upon him. There's another one where he says, "Man la yarham la yurham," that one who does not show mercy, he will not be shown mercy. Yes. And we're taught we taught this from a very from a very young age as well that. If you're not going to, you know, be merciful towards other people, if you're not going to be nice and compassionate towards other people, then don't expect the other person to be nice back to you as well. Sometimes you, do, you see some children, uh, they're, playing, they're playing with one another, and then one of them hits the other person. And then when the other child hits him back, him or her back, then they start crying. But then, you know, why are you crying? You hit the other person first. <laughs> why are you crying for? <laughs> then, isn't it? Now... It's it's also important that you know where we, we mentioned this uh, narration of uh, Hazrat Abu Bakr, who actually became the first Caliph um, of Islam. May Allah be pleased with him. That the, I mean, the, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him as well. He has also sh- shown this great example that if you're in a position, you know, to to take revenge, mm-hmm. and then you don't take revenge, you you know, you show compassion, you show mercy. And you forgive the other person, doesn't matter what they have done. And if that brings about a good change in that person, then that is the best sort of, that is one of the best things that you can actually do as a person. Your qualities, your ethics, your morals, that's one of the best um, traits uh, that you can actually display. But obviously, if you're if you're weak anyway, if you're not in a position to take revenge, if you cannot take revenge and somebody hits you and you don't say anything, Fine, it, it it is a good thing that you didn't say anything back, but still, you know, you can't you can't judge a person's um, ethics or morals properly in that sense as well. Yes. If you understand what I'm what I'm trying to say, um, so it it is important that we learn um, the character of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where you know 
staunch, staunch enemies. They committed heinous crimes and very, you know, they, in fact, one of them actually uh, killed one of the daughters, a pregnant a daughter of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And at the time of the conquest of Mecca, when when the Holy Prophet came with 10,000 of his companions and he marched down to Mecca, um, there was a lot of people who actually came and they, you know, they, they dropped on their feet and they begged pardon, they begged for forgiveness. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, forgave them. Yes. He said that, you know, on today, on t- on today's day, there's no blame onto you as well. Now, this is this is the this is the character of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon that all of us should try and uh, emulate uh, as well. We've got a few audio clips of His Holiness, the the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the fifth caliph of the Promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, Hazrat Mirza Masrul Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, where he talks about where he talks about or how he actually gives advice on uh, on freedom of speech as well. So let's listen to that. Uh, that audio clip, that brief audio clip uh, right now. Beloved Hazur, expression of speech has changed over time and what children might say now may be regarded as offensive to parents. What is your advice on this? You see, we have to learn good morals. Whether you are speaking to your parents or to your siblings, to your other relatives, you should not leave the morals. The moral says that regard the other persons, regard your elders, and regard your siblings as well. Hmm? Be polite and kind to your siblings, to your friends, to your parents. Right? So if you are showing good morals, then it is Islamic way of... You see, they say the freedom of speech does not mean that you start abusing somebody or you, as it is said in the, in the West, that uh, here there is the freedom of speech and freedom of um, um, express your views. So you can uh, you see and print the, the caricatures of uh, some of the peoples and cartoons of the people. No, that, that is, these are not good morals and they have double standards. Even then, when they printed the caricatures of the Holy Prophet they say now there's the freedom of speech and and expression here. So nobody should stop him. When they printed the the cartoon of the, the, the French president, then there was too much hue and cry. Huh? Why? It means they themselves believe that these are not morally good things. But for them, they have different level of standard and for the others different okay that was uh, the advice of uh, of his holiness may Allah be his helper and we can see that you know when these western nations as well these developed nations or you know so-called developed nations inverted commas that you know when when something happens to or when, you know <laughs> when someone draws cartoons or caricatures of the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him then then it just sort of gets brushed under the carpet. But then when, you know, when the same thing has been done uh, for, you know, for the French president or anyone else, then you see that these people, they start, they start raising allegations and they start making these laws coming in place and all of that. So you also see the hypocrisy uh, as well from, you know, from these different, uh, you know, different world leaders 
as well in these Western sort of developed uh, countries as well and nations that how you know where's the justice where's the justice in this indeed you know Sajil where we're just talking uh, what his holiness also said mm. if we take this into um in into a play right now yeah. so if for example the, the when the car- the cartoons and were drawn of the holy prophet uh, peace mm. and blessings of Allah be upon them mm. were drawn obviously it it hurted uh, it hurt our sentiments and our belief because yeah. we believe that he is the holy is the prophet of Islam mm. or, or is the prophet for the whole mankind mm. and when someone just for for the fun or just to um um called, hurt our sentiments draw, uh, draws these kinds of things and this is okay no it's that's freedom of speech or freedom of expression for them but if anything happens to them I was like, oh no! Now we have to draw some lines here because this is disrespectful to exactly. us. Exactly. So they don't. Uh, sometimes what happens here is they don't think what we believe in or what the res- uh, respect and level of respect we have for the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. We have. Mm. Remember when the Holy Prophet sallam, went to Taif, a, 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 it's a, a place, and uh, when he reached there to preach the message of Islam. The, the people there threw stones at him mm. and when he was drenched in blood the angel came down to him and asked should i destroy the city between those two mm. mountains like give me the give me the command and i can yes, destroy I them can destroy straight them away straight yeah. away and his holy um, his holy prophet sallallahu said no there will be someone from the children who will believe in me mm. so that's the respect uh, he gave to non believers at that time and and What's it called? And when we ask for that same respect, sometimes what mm. happens is, okay, no, it's fine. We'll look after it another time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, there's other uh, there's other examples as well. That, <laughs> I mean, there's countless examples which we can actually narrate as well. I mean, once there was a there was a person, there was a companion um, uh, of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and he was arguing with a with a Jew. Right, and then the Jew was saying that you know Moses, peace be upon him, he is, he is the greatest prophet, he is the most beloved of God Almighty, and uh, that companion was saying that no, it's not Moses. Moses was a very, he was a de- devoted person of God. He was a prophet of God, but you know the 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 the, the, the status of the holy prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, his status is much higher. His status is much more higher than any other prophet, and Moses is included in that one. And then they were having a dispute, and this was actually brought to. Uh, brought before the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and uh, he actually told he actually told uh, the Muslim he rebuked the Muslim he told, you know why why are you giving preference to me over Moses? And then he said some good things about Prophet Moses as well, um, and then he said that don't don't give preference to me over that of Moses, despite the fact that he knew he was the Khatam and Nabi, he was the seal of the prophets, he was the greatest. Of the prophets and ever, you know, any man who can ever be, who can achieve the highest status, he it mm-hmm. was him, exactly, it was him. But then, you know, he he told the Muslim, don't say this uh, to the Jew, and uh, and you know, the the matter was resolved uh, over there as well. So these are very beautiful examples of how the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, taught us what freedom of speech actually is. It's not just something which should be said, but it should be practiced as well. And this, the way that he practiced it. You know, it's, it's unparalleled uh, as well. Now, we've got another audio clip, a uh, brief audio clip, which we want to play for our listeners as well. Uh, also, you know, some other advice on uh, on freedom of speech. His Holiness, the, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, has uh, given us some more advice. Let's listen uh, to that one as well. Islam permitted Muslims to spread 
its teachings violently to conquer lands and to try to eliminate other religions, then why would the Holy Quran explicitly state that it was the religious duty of Muslims to protect all religions and to safeguard the rights of their followers? The reality is that the early Muslims gave their lives in order to establish and enshrine once and for all the principles of individual liberty, freedom of religion, and freedom of belief. These freedoms are the cornerstones of the Islamic faith and have been preserved eternally in the Holy Quran, which has categorically declared in chapter 2, verse 257, that there should be no compulsion in religion. What a clear and unequivocal statement in defense of freedom of thought, freedom of religion, and freedom of conscience. <clears throat> During the time of the Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, and his four rightly guided caliphs, the rights of non-Muslims were never usurped, and nor were they pressure, uh, pressured into accepting Islam or abandoning their traditions and beliefs. At every moment of his life, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, sought peace and promoted interfaith dialogue, mutual understanding and respect between the people of different communities. For example, after migrating to Medina, he formed a treaty with the Jewish community and together they formed system of government in which Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, was mutually chosen as the head of state. According to the terms of the covenant, the Muslims and the Jews pledged to cooperate and to be faithful citizens of the state. The, tre the treaty guaranteed the rights of every individual or uh, an individual to practice their religion and customs without fear of persecution or sanction. Never once did the Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, deviate from the terms of the covenant. On the other hand, there were some instances when the non-Muslims violated the treaty and they were sanctioned according to the pre-existing terms. <clears throat> Islam has never permitted its followers to spread their faith through the use of force and nor does it permit Muslims, Muslim governments to, uh, or uh, leaders to claim that only Muslims are permitted to live in their society. As I have mentioned, under the t terms of the Treaty of Medina, all people were free to practice their traditions and beliefs. That that society was bound together by one overriding principle that irrespective of their religious beliefs, all members of society were duty-bound to be loyal citizens of the state and to refrain from all activities that could undermine the peace and security of society. I mean, there was much more what His Holiness mentioned as well. This is just a brief, uh, a brief snippet, uh, an audio clip of that. 
of that speech uh, as well. Um, now, there's an important question, and of course, you know, the, we want to give this question to our listeners as well. Where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line uh, between freedom of speech and uh, and hate speech? And the most important thing about about freedom of speech is that we should remember um, that freedom of speech, with freedom of speech, there comes there comes responsibility, and these two are inseparable. However, and it's sad to say that unfortunately. People can, you know, be quick to forget that freedom of speech is actually not synonymous with the right to hurt. Now, to justify hate speech under the guise of freedom of speech is actually a complete mis- misunderstanding of uh, of the concept, and a lot of people uh, do this as well. Now, the minute where you go from free speech to hate speech, that's where we should draw the line. For instance, back you know, just, this is just one example out mm. of you know I don't know how many. Back in 2018, Boris Johnson, uh, the former prime minister, um, made very racist and Islamophobic comments uh, against Muslim women. You know, he he called them bank robbers. Yeah, he called them letterboxes as well. And even after the backlash from his own cabinet and, and pu- obviously you know the public condemning him as well, he said that you know according to him. He was respectful and tolerant, and he is fully entitled to his to his own opinion. Now that's what he said, and then after that, you know, I mean, he was a prime minister uh, uh, as well, isn't it? So, where do we draw the line? This is where we draw the line. If if you know whatever you're saying is hurtful, is you know, if you think about whatever you're going to say, and if you think that it's going to offend the other person, you know, that's where you draw the line. That's where you know you just don't do that. I mean. Forget about freedom of speech and all of that. You know, it's just not good manners. You know, it's not being a good person. Why? Why are you gonna go out there and start causing, uh, you know, start saying hateful things, isn't it? In the first place, all of these things actually build, you know, build build walls, not yes. build bridges. And these things are there um, to actually, you know, I mean, these limits are there. These limitations are there to actually keep us in check and make sure we don't do these things as well. Um, there's a verse of the Holy Quran, isn't it? Um, in uh, in the second chapter, there's no um, there's no compulsion. There's no compulsion in religion, and this means that you're free to believe in whatever you want to believe. You know, no one's going to force you to believe in whatever or force their opinions or their ideologies uh, or their religious teachings upon anyone. And Islam actually promotes this. Islam says that if you want to believe, then then believe wholeheartedly. If you don't want to believe, if you want to reject the teaching, then that is completely up to you. You know, there's no there's no worldly punishment uh, for you as well. I mean, God Almighty, you know, can do whatever He wants. He can forgive whoever He wants. He can punish whoever He wants. But if you want, but in this world, no one has the right to say that. Okay, either believe or I'm going to slice your head. Um, you know, separate your head from your from from your body. No one can say that. And this is why the promised Messiah upon whom be peace came as well, because a lot of Muslims have this false uh, conception, misconception about a bloody Messiah. The Messiah will come, the Mahdi will come, they will join hands and they will have a bloody war. And whoever doesn't believe, you know, that's it. Um, but that's not that's not the true thing. That's not what the true teachings are. Islam is a religion of peace. Islam is a religion of, of tolerance. Islam is, is a religion which actually promotes um, differences in ideologies and different things as well, and this is what we want to leave uh, with you guys 
uh, as well that this is the teachings of Islam. Literally, Islam literally means peace and submission, submission to the will of uh, of God Almighty. And uh, I think that's how we will uh, conclude uh, conclude the show uh, or this part of the show. So join us after the after the news break, where we'll where we will talk about our next topic, which is about prayers, patience, and perseverance. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back after the news break. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. A'udhu billahi min shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. And welcome back to the second hour of today's Drive Time show. And we'll be talking about prayers, patience, and perseverance so you know when we talk about prayers and patience and when this always comes up I always think about a verse in chapter 2 verse 154 where Allah the Almighty states O ye who believe seek help with patience and prayer surely Allah is with the steadfastness so you should always pray and be steadfast and pray towards the Creator who has created us, and He will fill, fulfill whatever your need is, or at the time when it is needed. And that, and that's the thing which a believer always believes in. And this is the topic which we'll be talking about: patience and perseverance. And if, and according to a new global study by Pew Research Center, activity, um, actively re- religious people are more likely then their less religious peers to describe themselves as very happy. You know, this thing is a research which has been done and where they say that religious, um, religious people are more happy than those who are non-religious or less active in religion. Because the one thing which I believe in also is, is Allah the Almighty because whenever any difficulties come upon us, any trials which come upon us, we f- we turn towards our Creator and supplicate in front of Him and ask for His help and His guidance. That's why you know when we read the first chapter of the Holy Quran, Sirat al Mustaqim, that guide us on the right path, and that's the one thing because He is the one who is able to guide us towards the right path. Yeah, Sad, I'm not surprised um, regarding that study um, that religious people are more happy because you know at the end of the day, religious and people who are religious. It brings them joy, and especially if you're talking about prayers, prayer is to bring you joy. Yes, prayer it gives you that happiness, that satisfaction which you need. And specifically, talking about prayers, we're talking about patience and perseverance. You know, uh, it's it's a Quranic uh, command as well that we should offer prayers. And when obviously when we do offer prayers, we do get that s- sense of completeness within ourselves. Prayer is also gives you like a sense of joy and happiness that you are so this study which um, you just uh, uh, told our listeners uh, from the Pew Research that religious people are found to be more happy but what do you think would that change in the future because so many people currently uh, some are coming into religion whereas others are moving away from religion indeed 
Because you know this thing, exact this question a person asked me a couple of days back. It's like you know my daughter, um, she had cancer. and i was, and she turned towards religion after that before that she was not religious but through um through her cancer or the illness she had at that point she turned towards uh, his um her, um her creator allah, allah the almighty and this is how the bond became stronger and after the clearance of um, her cancer and being declared okay you are fit now she has become a, even more religious than she was ever before mm. so you know there is always something to play right you but you know for a believer to be steadfast in trials that brings uh, that that makes your faith even stronger uh because allah does put um trials in front, uh, in front of you right like we talked about the the incident of taif in in the first hour and you know if if let's say it says okay no you destroy everything and you, you can go i'll go my way and they go their way that will have um, even separated even more apart but the, the mercy which was installed by Allah the Almighty in the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam right mm. that brought the whole arabia together and big be- be- made them become muslims and yeah, then so. so a believer is tested with trials and Indeed. it is a trial of their patience their prayers and their steadfastness and their, their perseverance and you know in, in the holy quran uh, it stated um a, belie- a believer that he knows that and they planned and Allah also planned mm. and Allah is the best of planners That's so right. we can plan all we like indeed but at the end of the day what's going to happen is what Allah has planned for us yes you know just just taking this uh, apart for a second you know when we go for a trip or anything we plan okay it's going to be 2 hours there 3 hours uh, after 3 hours we'll do a stop here and then after that another 3 hours we'll drive and then we'll do another stop but we 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 now factoring oh that could be a traffic jam there could be heavy rain um could be bad uh, visible uh, vis- visuals so we don't play those into we, we try to plan plan ahead but at that time when we in that situation we don't know what's going to happen so that's why allah knows the best what's going to be happening he's the best plan out, out of everyone now with this let's um uh let's speak to our first uh, our first guest uh, for this part of the show <laughs> imam ghalib batan who is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community serving in Paraguay. Assalamu alaykum, peace be upon you and uh, welcome to the show. Wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for for joining us uh, on our show uh, today as well. Um, You're you're the first imam who has established a a mission in Paraguay. Imagine it was a long and difficult sort of uh, an arduous process to actually start start from scratch. Could you just share with our listeners which you know some sort of what, what were difficulties that you had to go through uh, at that time? Um, so in the beginning, I was a believer in Shaitanirji in the name of Allah, the Gracious, the Merciful. Uh, in the beginning, the, the the Paraguay is a Spanish country. It's in in the middle of South America. Uh, it's subtropic. It has subtropic weather. Mm. Uh, in the beginning, the biggest challenge was language because uh, we speak English and. and over here the people speak spanish um there's also a culture shock uh which goes for any country that they'll have a different culture than you um and in the beginning we had about five members so it was quite lonely not everyone was coming all the time um but by the grace of allah now there's over 120 members in the paraguay jamaat mashallah and almost all of them are local converts mm. uh so now that the jamaat has grown so much we remember the difficult times with fondness like 
I don't, I think there was challenges. I don't like to call them difficult times. Mm. Um, like um, registering the Jamaat, uh, getting our immigration, um, even renting the mission house because people had had reservations against Muslims. Because uh, Paraguay doesn't have any Muslims. It's a very Catholic country. Mm. Uh, so, so people had a lot of reservations against Muslims and we had to, there's a lot of back and forth to get things done. Uh, but Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, with the prayers of our Khalifa, everything uh, had worked out. Mm-hmm. Now, just you know, uh, continuing on uh, from that as well, you mentioned you know uh, the different challenges that you mentioned uh, as well that you actually got through. Was there any point where you felt sort of stuck and you thought that you know it's, it's a difficult time, it's, it's quite it's quite a big challenge um, to actually see through this? How did you overcome those uh, particular moments or those incidents? Um, yeah, there's several incidents where uh, we felt stuck. Um, one of them that is sticking out right now is uh, our immigration for permanent residency. Hmm. Um, there were some issues with the birth certificate and, and whatnot. So they were not giving the permanent residency, which was a, something we needed to register the Jamaat. Uh, later on and it was stuck for many months um, and uh, we had to just pray have patience and by the grace of Allah it all worked out and and it didn't just work out it worked out in a miraculous manner that they Mm. said that nobody has ever gotten an exemption in the past for this Uh, so you're the first person that got an exemption that got the residency without having to present a birth certificate so Mm. um, Mm. Allah has always helped us in our difficult times. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Stepping in, you know, um, as a as an imam of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, we take guidance um, on a regular basis, or um, every uh, whenever we're stuck, we take guidance from His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, uh, may Allah be his helper. So, how has um, he, Hazur, His Holiness, guided you, and how do you see him as a mentor to your your success so far? Oh gosh, everything uh, that that we've been successful with, uh, uh, we've received guidance uh, uh, indirectly and directly through through his classes, through this program this week with Hazur, um, through personal uh, meetings with him, through co- uh, correspondence. Um, a guidance that really stuck out to me is something I when we were had our mulakat our in person meeting with Hazur uh, before I came to Paraguay. He said that the, the secret um, to preaching is to mix into the people. Right. Um, so you have to you have to involve yourself in the society, and not just um, just preach from the outside, preach from a distance. You have to get close to the people, yes. and then they will see uh, the the teachings of Islam from your actions, which has a much stronger impact. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Imam Ghalib, talking about um, talking about the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Can you uh, can you recount any specific story um, in his life of perseverance, um, you know, and and his reliance of uh, of prayers for for our listeners as well? Maybe that's uh, sort of helped you in your uh, work as well. Uh, we we have the the story of Taif, 
the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the peace and the blessings of God be with him. Uh, he went to preach in a town called Taif, and uh, the elders of the, this town um, rejected the message, hmm. and they they told the younger kids to to chase the Holy Prophet out of this out, out of the town, and the the, the children were pelting rocks and stones, and uh, they threw so many stones that that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, well, his shoes filled with blood. That's how uh, how uh, how hurt he was from physically from this this trial. But he was also emotionally uh, hurt that they rejected the message of Islam. Um, and you see that at the at the lowest of the low at, at a very humble position, an angel came and said that I can destroy this town for you, for what they did to you. And he showed complete humility, and he said, no, it's possible that from their descendants, people will accept Islam. So we don't even go through a fraction of the suffering or the pain that the Holy Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, went through uh, when he was preaching um, uh, the message of Islam to the people. So. Uh, I always draw whenever we have some minor difficulty or um, some minor inconvenience. You can always remember that the, the Prophet of Islam went through much more than we can imagine. Indeed, Imam Ghalib, uh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings, Allah be upon him, went through many trials. But that was the trust he had within Allah the Almighty. So, how can our listeners have that same bond with Allah the Almighty? If you can tell our listeners. Um, Islam uh, is a journey um, to, towards God, and uh, and the practices of Islam are vehicles that take us closer to God, like praying five times a day, fasting, uh, doing the Hajj, the, the um, to Mecca, um, a paying charity. I think what the listeners, um, what I would say, suggest uh, humbly is that just take the first step. Don't look at the whole journey. Uh, that is left to cover, but just take the first step. You know, if you're uh, not reading Quran daily, you know, start reading a page of the Holy Quran. Uh, if you're not praying regularly, just start praying, praying even if it's one prayer in the day. Just start. Just take the first step, and then and then the next step will follow. Zakallah Imam Ghalib for joining us today and enlightening our listeners with your wisdom. Zakallah for having me. So this was Imam Ghalib Batten and he is serving as an Imam in Paraguay. You know, when Imam Ghalib said um, Islam is a journey towards Allah the Almighty, towards God, and you should be taking the first step, mm. you know, that as a narration of His, um, his Holiness, um, of His um, Holy Prophet Sallallahu peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where he stated, you should, um, if you take um, one hand, Towards Allah the Almighty, Allah takes two, uh, uh, breaks two hands toward, towards you. Mm. If you take the first step, He will um, take two steps towards you. And if you walk towards Him, Allah will run towards you. Absolutely. So obviously, it's about always about the first um, step where we have to take towards Him to um, to have that trust with Allah the Almighty. And this is also to our listeners that we, a connection is not formed. Uh, just in a day but it takes um, steadfastness and struggle and there are trials which follow uh, with it so to be able to establish that connection with Allah the Almighty Mm. yes exactly you know uh, along with uh, starting creating that first step you know what's important is 
the continuity. Yes. Mm. Whether you do that good deed or pray uh, once a day, five times a day, you should have that regularity within your prayers, within the good deeds that you carry Indeed. out. And you know, once you carry those deeds on a daily basis and make it a natural habit, that is when you create that bond with Allah. Mm. Yes. And that is, I think, very important. Like along with starting, there's, there's, it's never too late to start. Indeed. You can you can be in your late age and it's never late to start. It's never late to uh, turn back to uh, God, your creator, Allah the Almighty, and seek his help. And that help which you seek then, it should be, uh, it should consist of regularity. Mm. That's what makes it genuine as well, as well, isn't it? If you do something out of, out of you know, a, a, a timely enthusiasm, then that, you know, you might do something a lot you know the first few times but then after after a few days yeah you might fall you, off from you, it you'll fall off from it as well mm. isn't it um so that's important as well we were talking about um how how everyone you know is faced with trials as well in fact god almighty actually says this in uh, in chapter 29 verse 3 of the holy quran where allah mentions do men think that they will be left alone because they say we believe and that they will not be tested and then the next verse is, and we did test those who were before them. So Allah will surely distinguish those who are truthful and he will surely distinguish the liars from the truthful as well. So, you know, in another place, Allah the Almighty mentions that those people who say that they believe in God and then they become firm on their belief. Allah the Almighty will, you know, there will be, there will be uh, angels which will descend upon them as well and they will help them. And they will say, do not grieve because, you know, we are with you uh, as well. So being tested or going through a trial, going through a challenge or difficult, difficult time in your life or, you know, th there are always ups and downs. People are quick to think that, you know, why me? Why mm -hmm. am I being tried? Why am I going through this difficult time? Why am I being faced with this, with this, with this challenge, with this difficulty? You know, it's, it's so hard for me. How can I endure this? But, you know, Allah the Almighty tests and trials each and every single person. So, that, you know, because of the verses which I just mentioned that he wants to distinguish those people who are true in their claim and those people who are the liars. Those people who just merely say that we believe, but they don't actually believe. And if we believe that there is a God Almighty who can take us through, through these trials and take us out of the darkness into the light, then, you know, we, we, that gives us that assurance that you know there is light at the end of the tunnel as well. We just need to endure that time, and the more you endure it, the 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 better the fruits will be of that labor uh, as well. Indeed, you know, when the Lahore attacks happened in the two mosques of the Ahmadi Muslim mm. community in 2010, 2010, yeah. and the response, which is Holiness Hazrat um, Khalifatul Masih the fifth, may Allah strengthen his hands, said it was that we should turn towards Allah the Almighty. And this is the initial reaction a believer sh um, should have and to be patient and pray and seek help and guidance from Allah the Almighty. Instead of re retaliating and attacking back, thus this is the response which His Holiness gave to the whole community that no, we're not retaliating this um, um, the same manner, the same yep. manner which they did to us, but we will turn towards Allah the Almighty and ask him to help us out and guide us through yeah, this sad. time. And also just recently, um, the the sad, tragic incident in Burkina Faso, yes. mm. where a similar incident took place. Um, 
what was our response? What was the response of the head uh, of the community? It was to turn towards prayers. Mm. Indeed, he prayed for all the families that uh, have been uh, um, inflicted or are uh, caused uh, distress and pain during mm. such a time. Our message, our response, is always of prayer and patience. Indeed, you know, even when um, the Prophet Messiah, Ali uh, Salam, um, when his father passed away, and he was like, "What should I be doing now?" And Allah the Almighty says, "Ali Salahu that which means is Allah not sufficient for His servant? That where that's the patience that he had because his father um, was the take um, caretaker first, right? And then he's like, "Okay, my father has passed away. What now? What's going to happen?" Then mm. Allah the Almighty says. Okay, I'm Rest here. Assured, I, 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 I'm I here. Look after I'm you. here. Allah is here. Allah is the one who looks after everything. So, isn't Allah sufficient for His servant? And that was the, the what's it called um, the, the prophecy which 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 was revealed to His pro, um, to promised Messiah Alayhi Salam. Hmm. Exactly. You know, in history, there's many uh, countless um, examples of uh, prayers and patience. Uh, we see in in the Holy Quran. Uh, we see ac- across history mm. uh, within prophets, their Indeed. wives, their children. There's countless um, um, a number of uh, inspirational um, incidents um, of prayers and patience. You know, one I'll just uh, narrate br- uh, briefly f- for our listeners yeah. um, is the story of Hazrat Hajra. May Allah be ple- pleased with her. You know, Hazrat Hajra was the wife of uh, Prophet Abraham, uh, peace be upon him, and the mother of Prophet Ismail and Prophet Ibrahim. And uh, Prophet Ibrahim was at the age of 86 when he and his wife Hajra were blessed with a uh, with their first child, Hazrat Ismail. And you know the birth of their son uh, in itself is a testimony to their their prayers and their patience um, that was heard by God Almighty, and He answered their prayers and they blessed them with both uh, with uh, with a child. And you know after the birth of the child of Hazrat Ismail, peace be upon him, mm. God desired to test his father by means. Of a difficult trial, you know. So it's it's true that we are all believers. Every believer is tested with trials, whether it be in form of worldly matters or religious matters, um, whether it's in, in any other difficulties. But mm. it is believers are tested. So Hazrat Ibrahim, peace be upon him, was also trest, uh, tested, and Allah said, "Ibrahim, take the child and his mother to the bleak and barren desert of Arabia and leave them there." Mm. So you know. As a believer, he was told by God Almighty Himself that leave your children in this bleak and barren land where there's nothing there. Literally, well, yeah. and you know it was his uh, like steadfastness and his belief in God. It was so firm and so strong mm. that he did not even think twice. So Hazrat Ibrahim, peace be upon him, he knew the dangers, but his trust in God was strong and unwavering. And with water and a few dates, Hazrat Ibrahim, peace be upon him, left them in this land. And he put his complete trust and uh, in God and prayed. And you know, he said this prayer that our Lord, I have settled some of my progeny in an, in an uncultivable valley near thy sacred house. So when Hazrat Hajra, uh, his wife, peace be upon her, saw him leave, she ran and off, uh, ran after him and asked him, like, are you leaving us here? Mm. To yeah. this moment, she didn't know either, like, yeah. what's, what, what's happening? And he did not answer. Then she asked him again, are you, are you leaving us here because it is a command by God? As Ibrahim was unable to speak and just pointed towards the sky, meaning mm. that it is a command by God Almighty. And she understood this. And in return, look at her response. Look at her <laughs> yeah. steadfastness. Yeah. And look at her patience. 
and then she said that God will not waste us mm-hmm. and return to the baby. So you know this incident itself is just it's just it strengthens your belief and your faith and it wants you to strive to also reach that level of faith and steadfastness and uh, the level of uh, patience and you know later what happened was that you know when the they, they hardly had um, much to eat and to drink um, you know so the so Hazrat Ismail who was really young at the time he became uh, uh, thirsty hmm. uh, and the mother's heart was torn to pieces when she looked around in desperation for water there was no signs of any water mm, it was a desert isn't it yeah. there was a desert complete barren land um, with hmm. mountains around and in her in her state that she was in she climbed the hills around looking for some sort of water um nothing could be done so she made there, there was two, two hills there uh, named Safa and Marwa at the time so there was different mountains there's Safa and Marwa there was two hills there so she made seven circuits of that hill in search of uh, water in search of like basically crying to uh, god uh, for some help mm-hmm. and then when hajrat hajra peace be upon her returned for the seventh time she saw that the ground was moist at a place where the child was striking his heels you know, wow. it's incredible that like mm. she began to scrape the earth and she was overjoyed upon seeing a, a, a that spring come out of this rocky land and she instantly fell into prostration um and just or just praying to god and just thanking him but in such a place where there was nothing um i mean this is such, a, such an incredible very, incident very isn't it you know um also when um his um, holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was revealed the words ikra and he said i i am unable to read and again he said read when the angel came uh, as jibril came to him read um he said i am unable to read and but he when he, when the whole verse was revealed to him and he went back and he said to hazrat khatija alayhi salam saying um zamiluni zamil cover me with a mantle cover me with with a mantle because he was scared and and, and was a bit anxious what's happening suddenly and then what hazrat khatija alayhi salam replied was never by allah allah will never disgrace you you keep good relations with your kids and kin help the poor and the um, distinguished serve your guests generously and assist the deserving calamity affected ones that's a steadfast that, that was the belief and steadfastness she, um, um, she had that uh, allah will never disgrace uh, such a man who has been so kind to the um, fellow human beings already so that's that's the reply that she gave to the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in that time Absolutely. I mean like like we were, like we were saying like we have mentioned you know there's so many different uh, narrations and um, stories that we can actually tell. I mean it's not stories the incidents incidents in yes. which we can talk about the 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 the, the prophets of God uh, you know their family members as well what they actually went through as well. Um we'll come to that in just uh, just a bit as well but let's speak to our next guest uh, for this part of the show Faiza Zafar who holds a bachelor's of science in chemistry, masters of education and PhD. in uh, in leadership and she she currently is working full time at Rice University as a postdoctoral research associate and is serving in the Houston Lajna as her as their general secretary and of course uh, she is a mother of uh, of four kids uh, as well assalamu alaikum peace be upon you welcome to the show assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi thank you so much for having me here today thank you so um, much and i look us. forward to our discussion Absolutely, and thank you so much for for joining us uh, on our show today as well. Now, to begin with, 
us as as humans we're creatures of uh, instant gratification and we want we want to do something and we want to get our reward from it as well especially when we live in live in an age where we have next day deliveries we don't want to wait for too long as well and sometimes you have the same day deliveries as well um sometimes it, this has led us in a way that we can't sort of uh, or it's difficult for us to actually focus on lo- long term long term gains now how would you or what advice would you say or give to our listeners to help them stay focused on their goals for the long for the long run Um, you know, never in my life as a student, I had imagined that I would be here having completed my doctorate degree while also raising four kids. Um, so it has been a long journey, a very long journey, and I'm going to go, grateful to Allah Ta'ala that He's given me the patience and the grace throughout my life, and I, I pray that He continues to shower His blessings. But um, to answer your question, you know, I say focus by making sure to dedicate at least an hour or two uh, to my studies every single night, um, especially uh, especially at least like four or five times um, a week. Um, we all get 24 hours in a day, and um, it is impossible to accomplish, you know, long-term goals in those 24 hours. So we have to break them down, and we have to prioritize, and that is exactly what I did. Um, I took one day and one semester at a time and prioritize my daily tasks. Um, so I know there are a lot of ladies, you know, they're going um, uh, to they're gonna, uh, conflict with, with me here when I say that, would you let your dishes, dirty dishes, let be in the sink for the night? And most of them will say, no way, you've got to clean them uh, before you go to sleep. But for me, it's like, no, the dishes can wait, okay? If my kids are asleep, Dishes can wait. I yep. can, in that quiet time, I can go ahead and finish an assignment, okay? Mm-hmm. And in the morning when the kids are up, I can do those dishes. So just prioritizing, finding time here and there to complete the work and remaining consistent really helped me um, accomplish my goals. Exactly. So, Father, you, you just mentioned that while doing your PhD, you were raising four kids. So how did your faith help you in this time of pursuing your studies? Yeah, so um, although I've been through different stages of life, right, uh, early married marriage years, then early mom, and then raising four, slowly four kids, um, my priorities and challenges, they changed. Mm-hmm. However, that one thing that did not change throughout all these years was my dedication to the community of the Promised Messiah. Um, with the grace of Allah, I, I had an opportunity to serve the women's auxiliary in various capacities, starting with being a um, teacher for the little girls to local and regional general secretary, and even served as a local president of the women's auxiliary. So no matter how busy I've been, the I've made serious efforts towards dedicating at least one day a week, especially Sundays, to our programs at our local mosque. So having this idea, this goal that, okay, Sundays are just for mosque-related events really connected me to this beautiful community. And um, it's really allowing my kids also to see the beauty of our community. So these days, my older kids, um, they get to attend the classes on Sundays. And if there's any other extracurricular activity that, that's coming up that's on Sunday from their school um, or from their friends, Mostly, it's a no. You cannot do it because we're going to the mosque. 
So I believe having that firm connection with this community and the constant reminders that we get from our meetings, from um, uh, from Hazur, from His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed, um, to remain connected to Allah and to excel each other in good works. These reminders kept me away from the worldly attractions, right? So they allowed me, if I'm not attracted towards the world, they allowed me to focus on my studies. And again, it was sheer grace of Allah that I was able to stay away from um, the worldly things and focus on my studies, my family, and my um, religious obligations. Exactly. Yeah, Sister Faisal, that's really, truly inspirational of how you've managed uh, both your uh, studies and looking after your um, kids and raising them to be the best version of themselves. So, you know, I mean, there are a lot of uh, women and mothers and students um, who are currently in that position um, of uh, in between their studies and in between looking after their kids. Do you have any tips or for them and how how they can stay consistent and never give up? Yes. So I like to think it this way, that each stage of life, no matter where you are, it's going to bring challenges, and challenges are good. Definitely. I truly believe that a life without a challenge is not fun at all. So if you're a student, you know, you, it's the challenge is to stay on top of your grades, to follow the path of studies that, that you have to become the professional that you want to be. Um, as a mother and a wife, the challenge is to look after, you know, your kids, your family, your house. So you really have to face the challenges as a uh, believer um, or as a person, you know, whenever you're posed with a challenge, you have two options. Either you can deal with the challenge or you could cry over it or be depressed about it. You know, so as yes. a firm believer, we deal with the challenge with the help of Allah. Um, and we all like to plan and there's nothing wrong with planning. Okay. So the number tip, number one tip that I really have to offer is that plan but remember that Allah is the best of planners. If something is not working the first time, try again. But yes. if it's not working, then maybe Allah has a better plan for you. So um, more likely than not, you will end up in a better place. And, you know, this happened to me. Originally, I had wanted to become a medical doctor because that's the only career that I knew about. Um, but Allah took me to another door, to another door. So doors of opportunities keep opening for you. So don't just become sad that, oh, I cannot do it or I cannot, but trust Allah and uh, remain consistent. Just keep going. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. I mean, at those times of, uh, of, uh, of difficulties, those uh, challenging times as well, what encourages you to actually you know, step up and uh, keep marching forward? So what I like to think is that you should take each resistance and a challenge as a blessing because in those moments you can truly get closer to Allah as you pray to Him. Um, So um, especially offering the early morning prayers, which are called sahajjad, these prayers are done um, and we have to sacrifice our sleep for it and present ourselves before Allah. So I've read numerous studies that, you know, all these successful CEOs around the world, they start their day around 4 to 5 a.m. So why don't we imitate them? Um, so that's when I read those studies, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to start waking up super early. And that's when I started doing the Hajjad prayer. Um, again, I'm going to be honest. 
when I was a mom to infants, I didn't talk for budget because, you know, sleep deprivation. There's no possible way you can get, catch up on sleep. Or maybe there is a possible way, but I did not um, uh, attain that. But now that my kids sleep through the night, offering these super early morning prayers and starting my day early has made me more productive. Um, so I encourage others to taste this medicine that's waking up early and get get excited about being addicted to it. So that's yep. the encouragement that I can give. Whenever you're facing a challenge, yes. get up and pray. Get up and pray. You know, you've given uh, such great tips. Just briefly, how do you create the balance between marriage and your studies? So life is a learning curve. Um, I don't believe that um, I have accomplished that balance. I'm still learning and struggling. Yep. But I, the the point is that we keep learning, we keep struggling, Definitely. and we keep going. We know we know the goal of our life. We know that is to get. Uh, we need to fulfill the rights of Allah, and we need to fulfill the rights of creatures. So do your prayers, uh, be kind to human beings, and I think that's the way you can balance your family life and your work life. Absolutely, absolutely. Faisal Zafra, thank you so much uh, for for joining us this uh, on on our show today, and uh, you know giving us your um, your tips and your advice in in regards to this uh, very very interesting topic as well. Thank you so much once again, and uh, peace be upon you. Thank you so much for having me. So that was uh, Faisal Zafar, who holds a Bachelor's of Science in Chemistry, Master's of Education and PhD in Leadership as well, and, and you know, uh, a mother of uh, four kids and uh, also currently serving as the, as the, uh, the, um, the General Secretary, who she was, or she is the uh, General Secretary as well in the Houston um, chapter in uh, the Women's Auxiliary Organization of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community in the United States uh, as well. Very interesting listening to her. Yeah, she, um, had, uh, yeah. she, she had really interesting points. And Absolutely. Uh, her you story know. itself was really interesting. And the tips that she given that be uh, be consistent in your faith, uh, that has helped her a lot throughout her life, throughout her studies, throughout her marriage. Mm. Um, I think that I think that's one of the key things we can take away from, from what she said. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. the thing we've been talk- talking about since um, the start of the show, consistency. If you're not consistent in in, in your yeah. prayers and asking Allah uh, the Almighty for help, then that connection will never be established. Yeah. So consistency for mm. all the listeners um, who are listening, the consistency is the key to have a bond with Allah the Almighty. Yeah. Yeah, even she mentioned that uh, challenges are, are, are part of life. Mm. We're all going to face them. Uh, it's either you can face them directly or step back and just be and miserable up or, and yeah, give yeah, up. Exactly. And exactly. Just, uh, but yeah, faith, patience, prayer is the key. Indeed. Now, you know, the promised Messiah upon whom BP is also mentioned that, you know, even if you um, get up for the Tahajjud prayers, the the, the pre-dawn prayers, uh, the very, you know, early in the morning prayers, even if you do two and you consistently do two every single day, that's still better than you doing, you know, you know say eight in one day Once and then, a- you know, leaving that for like a whole month or whatever as well. Uh, so this is very, very much important as well. Now, we also interviewed um, Fasil Din Malik, who is a young man who went through you know, quite a challenging time as well, a life-altering event when he was 15 that had brought him to the brink of death as well. Um, and he will share 
with us his story and how his faith helped him uh, to persevere and strive and uh, go forward as well. So let's listen to let's listen to Fasiuddin Malik. Uh, Fasi, could you elaborate what happened in 2010 when you were 15 years of age? So 2010 was uh, a very interesting year for me because um, the first six months of uh, that year was spent in a you know typical youth fashion. I was in school and I would play, play sports. I was very healthy, active, um, you know, a physically gifted individual. I would say, and then uh, midway through on uh, July 8th, I suddenly woke up one day with, uh, you know, excruciating pain all over my body, and I had no idea what was uh, happening, and, um, you know, um, I was in shock, and uh, uh, my family was in shock, so we had to call the ambulance right away, and uh, I started losing uh, my motor skills and slowly my consciousness and uh, everything was just, uh, you know, shutting down in my body. And I was taken to the uh, emergency right away in the ambulance. And um, that's where I lost consciousness. And I was unconscious for uh, uh, a few days. And then I spent about a month in ICU and then uh, five and a half more months in the hospital. So um, what happened was I suffered from a spinal cord injury because there was an abnormal vein wrapped around my spinal cord and it just bursted uh, out of uh, just all of a sudden. There was no symptom or there was no sign of anything uh, indicating uh, of this uh uh, abnormality in my spinal cord so that's what happened and so I went from you know this uh, athletic young boy to not being able to move anything below my neck not being able to breathe not being able to talk and um, yeah all of a sudden is a is a very uh, you know difficult time for me because even you were going through all this uh, challenging time and things suddenly changed for you, um, how did you stay hopeful in this time of difficulty? Well, for me, I guess the biggest thing was because I went through, um, you know, such an extreme, um, extremely close uh, thing to death. Like I had to be resuscitated when I got to the emergency. And I was in a pretty much coma for a few days. And being that close to death and, you know, coming back from that was for me, you know, getting a second chance at life. So first of all, I was just very grateful for that. And I started, you know, appreciating all the things that we take for granted, like our ability to move, to eat, to talk, to communicate. And um, these things really provided a different perspective uh, for me. And I started looking at life in a very uh, different manner and just uh, really appreciating all the things that we have. And um, this was, I guess, the driving force behind 
what kept me going was this um, hope that, you know, A, I've been given a second chance at life, and B, that, you know, now I have to make the best of it. So I uh, I just turned to God in, in prayers and asking for help and um, just uh, recognizing that, you know, I believe in a God who is all-powerful and capable of anything. And if I believe that, then I have to rely on him and put my trust in him to get me through this uh, difficult time. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I know that you are a life devotee as well, which means, for our listeners, it means that um, in our community, Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, so, you know, people dedicate their lives for the service of God, which means that they will only be working for the sake of God, for the sake of the community and trying to, you know, um, help others, basically that they make their uh, life goal that. So um, very clearly, I mean, this incident uh, certainly deepened your relationship with God, if I, if I understand it correctly. Yes, absolutely. And I think... Um... Like I mentioned, because I was looking at it from the point of, you know, having a second chance at life, I wanted to make the best of it. And that this was the, I guess, the driving force behind me getting more into, um, you know, serving the Jamaat on local level in the local Amas or in Khudabul Amdiyas in various departments. And as as I started serving, um, in these departments and I got opportunities to serve more and more. I grew, um, you know, more attached to Jamaat work and it really uh, fulfilled me um, and uh, it got me um, thinking that, you know, I, I get so much happiness from serving the Jamaat. Um, how wonderful would it be if I could do this? Um, you know, for the rest of my life, just as a daily living. And, um, you know, just the idea of uh, um, serving as a Wakfizindagi, as a life devotee, just uh, really spoke to me. And I, as a uh, Wakfino child, um, I, I was brought up with that, um, you know, teaching of... Uh, giving our services to Jamaat. And so just uh, a combination of that and, of course, prayers and guidance from God and uh, having that, uh, uh, you know, relationship with Khilafat through writing letters to him, just uh, all of these things combined helped me uh, make the decision to devote my life for uh, Jamaat. That's wonderful. I hope you continue to serve um, and continue to inspire people through your actions, through your life. Um, last question to you, Fasi. Um, how can our listeners develop the same trust and faith in Allah? What experience can you share with them? What you know actions uh, you think they should take so that they develop that trust in God Almighty? So I would say the, I guess the biggest thing I've learned um, from this is that you know, prayers are should never be underestimated, and 
one of the biggest actions we can take, one of the biggest practical actions we can take in taking this step in developing our connection with God, I think is uh, tahajjud prayer. It, it is really a game changer. And it doesn't even mean that, you know, you, you start praying and then you, you, all your prayers would be answered in the fashion that you require. We shouldn't even go into it with that mindset. But um, the Hajjad prayer is, uh, I feel so powerful that it makes you um, connect with God Almighty in a in a whole new level. And um, it, it is a, a practical action that is different than our daily routine and uh, our daily whatever obligatory prayers and it really makes you feel that you are making an effort towards god and when you have that feeling you start to feel that connection with god and then you you see the fruits of your prayers uh, in terms of uh, uh, you know getting closer to god almighty so I, I'm in no position to give people advices, but if there is one thing I have learned from uh, going through this experience is that any time that I was feeling pain, um, any time that I was feeling uh, struggle in my in my uh, in my battle overcoming my adversity mentally, it was you know those prayers. Uh, in the early early mornings that really helped me uh, calm me down and really made me feel that you know things are going to be better and alhamdulillah you know um, I've seen the fruits of those prayers answered and if I had to you know compare myself from where I started after the injury from not being able to move anything below my neck to alhamdulillah now I can you know, walk short distances, short distances using a cane. I can do all my daily tasks, uh, my personal care, and um, I can, I can drive a car now. So I have a lot more independence. Uh, I'm able to travel uh, on my own. Um, so, Alhamdulillah, these are all, I guess, due to uh, uh, you know God uh, answering my prayers. And uh, I'm faithful that, inshallah, in due time, that uh, the recovery will continue and God will grant me uh, a complete recovery, inshallah. Thank you so much, Fasi, for sharing your story with us. I pray that God conti continues to bless you with good health, you continue your recovery, and that you continue to inspire people throughout your life, inshallah. Again, thank you so much for joining. Indeed, this is Fasi. Fasiuddin Malik who has been inspiring um, the youngsters, the elders with his um, perseverance and the steadfastness he showed towards Allah the Almighty and the dedication he had and the connection he created with Allah the Almighty and you know when we talk about it and it's always the key of steadfastness and being consistent as we have talked about it many times before in, on Voice of Islam show uh, on Voice of Islam and 
this is uh, one thing which is always um, which creates the bond um, with Allah the Almighty which we should have so regarding this we had uh, we have an audio clip of the, His Holiness the worldwide Ahmed, uh, the head of the Ahmadi Muslim community Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed and he was asked a question regarding how to increase your faith and trust in Allah the Almighty and these are his words. One Khadim asked how he could increase his faith and trust in Allah the Almighty. So the first thing is that how long do you take in offering Fajr prayer? Five minutes? Uh, five to ten minutes around that time. Four rakas in five to ten minutes. How can you understand How can you understand Surah Fatiha in five to ten minutes? You see? <laughs> while offering your sunnah. If you are not offering your fajr prayer or any of the prayer in congregation, in the mosque, and, and on your own, you should recite Surah Fatiha repeatedly when you are doing your own prayers. And say, Ehdina Sirat al-Mustaqim, Ehdina Sirat al-Mustaqim, Ehdina Sirat al-Mustaqim. So Allah Ta'ala will guide you on the right path. Eh? So repeatedly do it in your prayers. And in your sajdas, fervently pray to Allah Ta'ala that Allah Ta'ala give you the strength to be a good believer and firm in your faith. So it will take time. You see, what are you doing? Are you going to school or college, university? I'm going to school, high school. School, grade 12? Yes. Achha. So see, this is your final year in the secondary school. Until and unless you work hard, you know the in-depth knowledge of your subjects which are being taught to you, or your whatever is in your syllabus, or in your course, or in your books, you cannot qualify or succeed. How can you qualify your level of piety and righteousness without struggling hard and striving hard? So you are you're giving six, seven hours to your studies after schools, before the exams. But here, you, don't, you give only five minutes or ten minutes at the most. And even whatever you are reading in the Holy Quran, you don't know what are you reading. So if you don't know about your subject, how can you write the answer? When you see the question paper and you have read the book, without knowing what, was the, what, was, what is the meaning of that, you cannot understand the question. Right? Mm -hmm. To understand the question, you should know that what is the answer and where it was written in the book, in my syllabus, and what the teacher taught me about uh, this subject. Then you will try to answer it. Here, you don't know anything about what Allah Ta'ala is saying, and you are asking that, how can I believe in Allah Ta'ala? You don't know what Allah Ta'ala is saying, how can you believe in Him? You have to find out. You read the Holy Quran with translation. Then you would know. Then it will strengthen, then it will strengthen your faith and your belief in Allah Ta'ala. Right? Okay. Right. Assalamu alaikum. And indeed, where we spend six to seven hours studying, we should be, uh, and where we spend five minutes for prayers, we should be spending more time and more time with Allah the Almighty and connecting and 
connecting with Allah the Almighty. That's to steadfastness and being consistent. And it's, it's well said, and they planned and Allah planned and Allah is one of the best planners. I hope with this short um, show we had today, um, we will you have learned something new today and I would also like to thank all the producers who have been presenting uh, able to show us how this show is produced. Thank you.